Good morning, church. Uh, glad you're here this morning. And if any of you are here for the first time ever, a real special welcome to you. And if the first time in a while, we're just glad you're, you're back. My, my Sunday mornings, they always begin the same way. My alarm goes off at 5.55, which for me is really early. And uh, so what I do is I turn off the alarm, and then I go back to bed. And then there's that moment, you know that moment when your eyes open, you're like, oh, what time is it? And I'm scared, like I've got a text from Daniel saying it's 8.45, the service is about to start, where are you? And thank God it's never happened. Uh, normally it's maybe, maybe it's 6.02, so okay, I was close my eyes for another seven minutes there or so. And, and my next thought is, I wish I had oh, had the coffee preset to make in the morning. It would be so much easier to get out of bed if there was coffee ready. Um, and I think the same thing every week. <laughs> and then I kind of roll out of bed and I groan because I am almost 42. Um, and uh, it's getting harder. And I think, is it, sun- some, not, is it Sunday already again? And uh, I grab my sermon notes and I spend about an hour and a half just kind of going over finalizing some things, and I'm going to be honest, sometimes that when I'm in that space that feels like work, feels like duty, um, sometimes even feels like a burden, and, you know, but I had a moment this morning, I was sitting in darkness in my living room, and I was, maybe I was even a little bit grumbly because my wife and kids are all down in Minnesota at the, at the family Christmas, and I'm, I'm by myself, and I've had frozen pizzas four days in a row, and I'm not feeling so good, and... And, uh, but I just had this moment again, and God gives it to me every once in a while, and it's a real blessing when He does. Just this, uh, uh, this reminder, like, Rusty, what an awesome thing that you get to get up there and share the good news of God. What a good thing. What a joy and a privilege. And so uh, I got a bit of an attitude check this morning from God, and just was reminded, this is good. Isn't it great that God has not left us in the dark, wondering who He is, what life is all about, but He has revealed Himself? He has given us His Word so that we can know God, and we can know His will, and we can know how we can have fellowship with Him. That makes all the difference. What a privilege. So I hope you feel that this morning. You know, whoever you are, wherever you're coming from, this this joy that God has spoken, and God wants to speak to you today. And I just pray that each one of us, we open up our hearts and our minds to Him and just realize what an awesome thing this is to be able to hear from God. Uh, over, over the years, I've heard statements that people think are Bible verses that aren't Bible verses. They're not actually in the Word of God. And, and, and we hear them so often, and they kind of have this, this maybe spiritual ring to them, and, and many people just assume that they're in the Bible. And so this last week I was reading, uh, I found online, a list of the top 10 Bible verses that aren't in the Bible. <laughs> Number 10, you've probably heard all of these. Number 10, cleanliness is next to godliness. You ever heard that one? If that's in there, I'm in big trouble. I'm in big trouble. Thank God that one is, that is not a Bible verse. Uh, there's another one in there. Number 7 on the list was money is the root of all evil. You ever heard that? And that's kind of like half in the Bible, right? Some of these things, they're, they, 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 they're, they're a little changed, uh, the Bible actually says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. 
Uh, number three was, God won't give you more than you can handle. Boy, does that sound nice, and maybe you've said that to somebody. God won't give you more than you can handle. And I mean, there's some truth to that, but the, you know, the Bible doesn't say that. In fact, there's times when God gives people more than they can handle, uh, apart from His help. And the, and the first one, the number one Bible verse that's not in the Bible, do you have any guesses? God helps those who help them. You've heard that one? God helps those who help themselves. I mean, it, it kind of sounds biblically in a way, but is that true? It's not in the Bible. God helps those who help themselves. Who does God help anyway? Really what we want to talk about this morning as we continue in the book of Philippians, if, if you're just joining us uh, for the first time in a while, we're about six weeks into going through this profound little book that Paul wrote 2,000 years ago to a church in the city of Philippi. But they're not just words to Paul, from Paul to them, they're words from God to us, been preserved for us. Uh, and, and really, this book is all about joy. As short as it is, it's only four chapters, it speaks more about joy than any other book. Paul is writing to help us discover how to find joy wherever we find ourselves in life, that there is joy wherever we are. Um, and he talks a lot about finding joy in humility, finding joy in not just serving our own interests or looking out for ourselves, but finding joy in humble service. And so Paul says that Christ has left us an example to follow. That's what he says in the words we just heard there uh, in verse 5 of Philippians 2. He said, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. And now he's going to give us this example of Jesus. Well, what, what did Jesus do? And we have these verses, which are some of the most maybe recited, well-known verses in the Bible. And so, if you've been around church for a long time, you're probably very familiar with these words. Um, and, and they're a little bit different than the rest of the book of Philippians. So, they're not sure, was this a hymn that had developed already early on in, in the church that summarized the gospel that they would recite or sing together? Or was this Paul just kind of breaking out in this beautiful poetry? But it describes... Well, it describes, I guess, two things, because there's two starkly different halves to this poem or hymn or whatever it is. It begins with the descent of Jesus, it begins with what we call the humiliation of Jesus, but then it's followed by something that's exactly the opposite. It's, it's followed by what's called the exaltation of Jesus. And so, it's like a big V. If we were to think, what is, uh, what is this example of Jesus? It's like a V. It starts high, it says, Jesus who in very nature God, Jesus is God the Son, possessing all of the glory and honor and worship that's owing to God. But then it gives us, it paints for us this descent of Jesus. And we talked about that last week if you were here. It's called the humiliation of Jesus, how He humbled Himself, almost like He took a ladder and He kind of stepped down from heaven, rung after rung after rung. He went lower and lower and lower. And last week we looked at the six steps, right? How even though He was God, is God, He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He did not cling to it, that which was His by right. He did not demand it. He did not seek His own glory, which was His by right. And we live in a world where everyone's talking about rights 
Everyone's trying to secure what they think is theirs by right, what is owing to them. But Jesus did not cling to what was His by right, all that glory and honor worship, but He let it go. And He stepped off of His throne in heaven, and He stepped down, and He, made, he emptied Himself, and He made Himself nothing. And He took the form of a servant. The one who all services owed to became a servant. And He was made in human likeness. He became a human being, which is what we remember and celebrate at Christmas, that Jesus entered into humanity, not just becoming a human genetically, but sharing the full experience of the human experience, all the good and the bad and the ugly. Jesus embraced that all, even to the point of death. And not just any death, the most agonizing of deaths, death on the cross. Jesus went down all the way to the very bottom. He humbled himself. And he shows us that humility, it's not demanding your due. It's not protecting your reputation. Humility is not leveraging your power to serve yourself first, but leveraging your power to serve others. And so Jesus, in his humility, in one sense, it's unique in its effect. We can't go and do the same and die on the cross and save anybody. Like, he died on the cross so that you and I wouldn't have to. He paid for my sin. It's because of his humility that we can be saved and have life with God. And so there's a sense in which what Jesus has done is unique in its effect. God helps the helpless. Does God help those who help themselves? Well, what we see here is God helps the helpless. Jesus has humbled himself to give us the mercy that we are in utter need of. He went down all the way to bring us out. So there's a sense in which Jesus' humility is, is unique in its effect. We, you know, we don't have to do that. He did it for us. But there's also another way in which, of course, it's common in its, in its example. Paul says, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ had in this way. Humble yourself like Jesus humbled himself. Uh, but that's not the end of Christ's example. Like, it might have been very appropriate for, for the hymn to end there. But he continues now he's going to show us the other half. After Jesus' humiliation, there is this exaltation. In verse 9, we see this shift. It says, therefore, God exalted Jesus to the highest place. God exalted Jesus, which is to say, God gave him all the honor and the glory and the praise that he was due. All that he let go of and laid down, God gave it to him. He exalted him, not in spite of the fact that he humbled himself and came down, but exactly because he did that. Therefore, because Jesus humbled himself, therefore, God exalted him and gave him the honor and the glory and the praise that was due him. And so we see this connection between humility and exaltation, and, and you see this in a variety of places, like Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9 speaks of this as well when it says this. It says, we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, because of course, um, He came down here and He took on flesh, but now we see Him crowned with glory and honor because He suffered death, so that by the grace of God, He might taste death for everyone. Because he suffered death, because he humbled himself, because of that, God crowned him with glory and honor. 
God elevated Jesus to the highest place, which isn't to say that it was higher than the position he used to hold. It's not saying he did such a good job, God gave him a job promotion. All right, you've moved up a rung on the ladder. He was already God, possessing full divinity. There's no higher than that. There's no more glory than that. In fact, Jesus will pray in his final prayer before he goes to the cross, and we have it recorded in John 17. He says this in verse 5. He says, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before that I had with you before the world began. So he's kind of restored to this place. It's not that his status became superior. It couldn't be. And yet in this elevation, this exaltation of Jesus, it's done by his Father. There is something yet new in this because God himself, Jesus himself is new. I mean, that, that, that's a glory that he possessed for all eternity past, because He is God, but now, no longer is He is God, but He is man. He is the God-man, and He ascends to that place as God and as man, who has tasted death for everyone, who through His humility has um, caused all things, including death itself, to bow at His feet. He has brought everything under His control. And so God has exalted Him to this highest place and given Him the highest name. Paul says that name that is above every name. And what is that name that He was given that is above every name? We may think, well, it's, it's the name Jesus because it goes on to say that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. But most scholars would say it's, it's not the name Jesus because it says, at the name of Jesus. Jesus was a very common name. There were probably five Jesuses in his daycare when he was a kid. Unless you're Mexican, you're not naming your kid Jesus, right? That's a special name. But, uh, you know, it, it was Yeshua, Joshua. Just a very ordinary name. He's not saying that, that that special name is necessarily Jesus. What is this name that he has been given that is above every other name. Well, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every, uh, in, in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. This is the name that Jesus has been given. That is the name above every other name. It is the name Lord. What Paul is saying is because Jesus has humbled himself in that way, he will be acknowledged by all creation as Lord. Not a maybe, but a certainly. It, this will happen. Not some knees, every knee will bow. Not some tongues confess, every tongue will confess. And maybe you've read that and you've wondered, what, is it, what does that mean? That every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ as Lord? Because, you know, we know that Paul says in Romans 10, 9, he says, if, you confess, Je- if, you, if, if um, you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So is he just talking here about Christians, that, that all Christians will bow the knee, all believers will bow the knee and confess Jesus as Lord? That's not what he's saying here. Because who is doing the confessing and the bowing? He says it's... Um, Everyone who is in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and it's just a way of saying every person, every being, every creature, without exception, all creation will acknowledge Jesus as Lord, will give Him honor and glory and praise that He is due. 
as the God the Son. So he's not just talking about Christians here. And, and some people might wonder, is, is, is Paul saying that, well, everyone is going to be saved? Eventually, everyone's going to come to that point that maybe most of us have come to where we've, we've believed upon Jesus and this good news that if we repent of our sins and put our trust in Jesus Christ fully, like, we are forgiven and we are made new and we are given the gift of eternal life. Is, is he saying that everybody is going to come to that position with God? And it's... it's it, it's almost certain that that's not what he's talking about here because in Paul's mind um, is Isaiah 45. He's not making up these words, okay? He's thinking about the words that he knows well from Isaiah 45, the words of God, which I'll just read for you. Isaiah 45, starting at verse 22, say this. Now, this was written, uh, words God gave 700 years before Uh, the lifetime of Christ and Paul here. God says, Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn and my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. In other words, nobody can deny it. Before me every knee will bow, by me every tongue will swear. So that's what Paul's thinking about. God continues, they will say of me, in the Lord alone are deliverance and strength. All who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. You have to understand that where this comes in Isaiah is, it's just detailing the opposition of Egypt and Babylon and all these great worldly powers against God, the one true God, and against his people. All this opposition, defiance, He says, all who raged against him will come to him and be put to shame. They will have to admit that God is God alone, and and in God alone are deliverance and strength. All who have raged against him will come to him and be put to shame, but all the descendants of Israel will find deliverance in the Lord and will make their boast in him. So he's talking about two different groups of people that are bowing. The groups of people that bow uh, willingly to God, who, 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 who gladly confess the reality of God and His Lordship, um, and, and those who just must acknowledge, just must acknowledge that, that unwillingly, begrudgingly just have to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. And so when it says that every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That word confess there simply means acknowledge. There's coming a time when everyone, everyone without an exception, will have to acknowledge that Jesus is who He is, that Jesus is Lord. It doesn't mean that everyone will be saved, but all will submit. That, that, That time is coming. And some will bow that knee willingly and gladly, and they did so in this life. And others will bow before Jesus and acknowledge Him and give Him that honor unwillingly and begrudgingly, but all will. And so I guess the question for us is, for each of us is, have we bent the knee, right? Which of those two groups of people are, are, have we come to a place where we have lovingly, willingly surrendered our life to Christ in faith, believing in who He is and what He has done and repenting of our sins and trusting in Him for our salvation. Have we bent the knee in that way? 
all will bend the knee. And if you haven't, do that today. If, 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 you, ha- if, if you have not put, made Jesus your Lord and Savior, if you have not come to a place where you have just surrendered your life to Him, and you have repented of your sins, and, 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 and just said, Jesus, I need your mercy, I believe in you, Come into my life, forgive my sin. I put my full trust in you. Be my Lord and Savior. I bend my knee to you. If you haven't done that, then please do that today. There's nothing better than receiving the gift of the life that comes through Christ. There's nothing better. That eternal life, that that fellowship with God is a gift He freely gives that we receive by faith. May we be people who are bending our knee and gladly declaring Jesus as Lord. But even for those who don't in this life, a day is coming when they will bow the knee and they will have to give Jesus His due. And God will make sure of that. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. And so Paul's point here is that Jesus will get the honor and the glory that he deserves. He won't, he won't do it for himself, but God will ensure that he gets the honor and the glory that he deserves. So, so Paul is wanting us to understand this connection between Christ's humility and his exaltation, that because he did not cling to or seek or demand his glory, God exalted him and gave it to him. God ensures that Jesus, God the Father ensures that Jesus, God the Son, receives his glory because he humbled himself. And you know, I, I've, I've read that passage like many of you have many times in my life. And every single time I've read it, I've only thought it was talking about Jesus. Because it, that's kind of unique. The highest place, the highest name. Well, obviously that's not me, right? That He gets that place. I don't get that place. He has that name. I don't have that name. Like I know some of us parents, we say like all our kids are our favorite, right? You ever tried that? When your kids comes to you, Johnny said that you said that he was your favorite. Well, you're my favorite too, Sally. Right? So there's a sense in which, obviously, you know, this exaltation of Jesus here is, is unique. God has given him the highest place and the highest name. He alone is Lord. And so when I've read this passage, I've only thought of it talking about the uniqueness of Jesus. But that's not why Paul gave it to us. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is this represents your exaltation. Jesus has left you an example, not only in humility, but also in his exaltation. This is about you. And, and, and before this week, I'd never read this passage. Like, this is actually describing what happens to me and to us if, if we will humble ourselves and follow Christ's example. So how is Jesus' exaltation an example for us? Well, really, it's an example of, of the words and the promise that Jesus uh, spoke a number of times. We see it in Luke chapter 18, verse 14, when Jesus says this. He says, For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Have you heard that before? Let me read it again. 
And think of who's doing what here. For all those who exalt themselves, who's, who's doing the exalting? The person themselves, they're exalting themselves. All those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Who's doing the humbling? Yeah, yeah, Holy Spirit, God. You exalt yourself, God will humble you. And all those who humble themselves, who's doing the humbling? Yourself. All those who humble themselves will be exalted. Who's doing the exalting? God. So there's something we do and there's something God does. He says, if we humble ourselves, God Will, exact, will exalt us. God will give us honor. And this is what we see back in Philippians chapter 2, because just look at the verb tenses. Look at who's doing what. In Jesus' humility, right, those first few verses, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So he did not consider, that's Jesus did not consider, Jesus made himself nothing, Jesus took the nature of a servant. Jesus humbled himself. Jesus became obedient to death, right? It's he is doing this. But then as soon as it's, it, it switches to his exaltation, the verbs change, right? Now it's God that's doing the doing. It doesn't say, therefore, Jesus exalted himself. Therefore, Jesus gave him the name that is above every name. No, now it changes. Now, God exalted Jesus. God gave him the name that is above every other name. And this is what we're seeing. It's, it's, it's the words of Jesus. Those who humble themselves, God will exalt. God takes the initiative to lift up, to give true honor and glory. God helps those who help others. Right? God honors those who help others. God honors the humble who do not pursue or demand their honor. God lifts up those who lift up others. And so you see this. You see how God works in this way um, again and again. And we have, we have a good example in Genesis chapter 13, this, this story of Abram and Lot. And if you don't know the story, Abram would become Abraham, right? He's the father of the, uh, the nation of Israel. He's the father of our faith. Lot was his nephew, and they were traveling together. They both owned herds, big herds. In fact, their herds had grown so much that there wasn't enough grass for them to travel together for all of their herds to eat, um, and it said that there was quarreling. Um, Genesis 13, verse 7 says, and quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's herders. So Abram said to Lot, hey, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we're close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company for the sake of peace. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. You have to understand what, what he's doing in humbling himself here because, you know, Abram was his senior. He was the next generation. He was the elder. And I know in this day and age, we don't really honor our elders, right? It's like, okay, boomer. Move aside. You've had your turn. Go to the curb. We youngins are taking over. But back then, um, especially, man, like, he being the elder, he got first pick. Lot should have been, Lot should have been like, Abram, um, you pick what you want, and then I'll take the rest. But that's not what happens. Abram says, listen, for the sake of peace here, 
Um, if you go to the left, I go to the right. If you go to the right, I go to the left. You take first pick, Lot. What do you want? Lot, Lot looked around and he saw that the whole plain of the Jordan told Zer was well watered like the garden of God, like the land of Egypt. So Lot chose for himself. Right? So there's someone who's exalting himself. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and toward the east. This one direction, he saw like great land for sheep. The other way, he saw like an arid desert. And he's like, yeah, I'll go this way. So he, he chose for himself the good land, and Abram then lived in the land of Canaan, the arid land, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain, and he pitched his tents there. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, God comes to him and says, Abram, come here. He says, look around from where you are to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west, to the land, all the land that you see, I will give you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land for I'm giving it all to you. He's like, you know what? Because of what you did there, he chose the best land. I'm going to tell you something. It's, I'm actually going to give it all to you. You let it go. I'm going to give it to you. You humbled yourself. You know what? I'm going to exalt you. Lot chose for himself, right? And he was humbled. Abram humbled himself, and God exalted him. He gave him something that was better than he could have secured on his own. Like, don't you think that what God could give you would be better than what you could get for yourself? Do you believe that? Like, do you really believe that? That what God can do for you is better than what you can do for yourself? That what God can give you is better than anything you could, you could, you could take for yourself? That the honor that God could give you would be better than the honor that you could get for yourself? Yeah. I mean, after all, he's the one to whom it all belongs. The whole earth. It's all mine, and I can give it to whom I choose to give it, and I will exalt those who humble themselves, who seek not their own interests first, but seek the interests of others. And so you see Jesus teaching his disciples and saying uh, this in uh, Matthew chapter 6. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. For if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets so that you're honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. What was their reward? Their reward was the honor they won for themselves from other people. That, that was their reward. He says, but when you give to the needy, do not lift your, let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And he says, when you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites who love to pray on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. What is it? They've received the honor of others. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and your Father who is unseen will see what you do in secret, and He will reward you. Don't you think that God's reward would be better? than whatever reward you could secure for yourself 
by looking to your own interests first? Yeah. Yeah. God's honor has greater power, greater prominence. For the whole earth is His and everything in it. That doesn't mean that we, 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 we humble ourselves so that we can get. It's like a get rich scheme. Ooh, I give, I, I give 10% and then God, God gives me 20%? Ooh, get rich. It's like, right? Where, 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 where service becomes actually selfishness, a desire to exalt oneself. Because that's not what Jesus is doing. That's not why Jesus humbled himself, Right? In fact, he humbled himself to get glory for God. Isn't, isn't that how the passage we read ends? Therefore, God exalted him, gave him the place above all others, the name above all others, that every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Right? He is exalted. He receives his honor and glory. And, and, and what's the purpose of that? Ultimately, it's just to give God greater honor and glory. It's like this, this upward cycle, spiral. And Jesus talks about that in that final prayer in, in John chapter 17, verse, uh, verse 1, when he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. Don't glorify me for my own sake. Glorify my Son so that you may be glorified, God. So you may seem, be seen to be great. Reward me so that you could, see, so that you could show yourself to be an awesome rewarder. If you humble yourself, you will be exalted. But what does that actually look like? This is Jesus' exaltation. What does our exaltation look like? Like, what's it going to be? I mean, in that relationship, in that situation, if I, if I choose to be an Abram and not a Lot, and I choose to lay myself down and not to defend myself or not to demand the due that I think I, I deserved, like, so what is the exaltation for me? What's the payoff? Well, it's up to God. It's up to God what and when. Even if you go back to Philippians 2 there, it said that God exalted Jesus to the highest place and he gave him the name. That word gave is, 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 comes from the word grace. It means freely given. It's not something that was just a business transaction, like God owed it to Jesus because Jesus did that, and so now he's being paid. It's like God, because he was pleased in the humility of his son, freely gave him this honor and this glory. So it's up to God how and when he exalts the humble, which means we, we may just need to wait and trust and persevere in humility and faithfulness, just believing the promise of God that those who humble themselves will be exalted. Peter says this, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse, verses 6 and 7. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in... In what time? In what time? On Wednesday? At 7 o'clock? Next summer? In due time. What's, what's due time? Due time is the time that God sets. The time that God sets. 
But the time God sets is always proper, the proper time. So I don't know about you, but there are times when, it, when we get weary in faithfulness. We get weary in taking the high road because the high road feels like it's not going anywhere. And look at the people taking the low road. They're doing just as well. They're doing better. What's up, God? The proud are prospering. And here I am, taking the high road. Nothing's happening. It's, there are times when we might feel like, hey, our faithfulness is pointless. It's making no difference. We grow weary. We don't see how it's accomplishing anything. You ever feel like that? Maybe you should just stop being humble and be like others and just take for myself. That's what the psalmist was battling, those thoughts. Really interesting little psalm. Just read a few verses of it. Where's Psalms again? Is that in the middle? Psalm 73. The psalmist, he, he's struck, he says, As for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. Why? For I envied the arrogant and I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. In other words, they're, not, they're exalting themselves. They're using the power. They're leveraging their power for themselves. They're serving their interests first. And they seem to be doing just great. It says, therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. And, and I, my foot's almost slipping. My spiritual foot is almost slipping. He says, surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and I've washed my hands in innocence. A few verses later, he said, when I tried to understand all this, it troubled me greatly until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. I understood how things will end. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and He is my portion forever. God is my portion forever. When He exalts me, you know, my, my future, Paul is saying, our future, if we are faithful, right, is, is honor and glory that is permanent. The honor and glory, the exaltation that we can get for ourselves or others can give, can give us, that, that's, that, that perishes, right? Because he says, those who are far from you will perish. But you are uh, my strength and you are my portion forever. So he, he, had, he had a bit of a change of mindset. And he saw the, the things in the end. He, he, was just, he, was, he was so caught up in today. And what was going on. But then, then he kind of set his sight onto the big picture with that eternal perspective. And then he realized that in the end, God sorts it out. That the end, God gives everybody their due. That in the end, for those who exalt, humbled themselves in faith in Jesus and the way they lived in this life, there will be reward and there will be honor. And, when, and, and whatever that looks like, whenever that happens, it might happen in this life. God has all sorts of ways that he can bless those and exalt those who are humble. He has all sorts of ways to do that. But even aside from all of that, we have a future before us, a destiny 
where if we share in the suffering and humility of Jesus, we will share in His glory. Man's honor will perish, but the honor and glory that God gives is permanent. So Paul's purpose is here is, is, is to remind us. Look at your Lord and Savior Jesus. Look at His example so that you can follow in that same way that if you are faithful in humility just as Christ was, you too will be exalted by God just as Christ is exalted by God. So Paul, he wants to ask us, he wants us to ask ourselves, who, whose honor am I seeking? Like that's what we need to ask ourselves when we read this. Like in my life, in my relationships, whose honor am I seeking? Whose interest am I trying to serve first? Am I like Lot trying to choose for myself? To elevate myself? To secure myself? Whose honor am I seeking? He wants us to ask that question. And then I think, Paul, he wants to encourage us not to grow weary in doing good. Like Christians, keep going. Keep, taking the, keep, keep being humble. Keep taking the high road. Keep, keep serving the interests of, of others. Because God will exalt. God will give everyone their due. Or as Peter says in 1 Peter 2, he says, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no, no deceit was found in his mouth, yet when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. What allowed Jesus, what allowed Jesus to be humble and not retaliate and not defend? What allowed him? The knowledge that God, his Father, right, was a perfect judge. That God, his Father, would exalt. God, his Father, would give honor and glory. He would set all things right in the end. Every knee will have to bow. Every tongue will acknowledge. So that... We, we, we need to trust that God will account for all of that. And so, so Christian, we need to be encouraged not to grow weary in doing good. Because you might find yourself in a, rela- in, in a situation where taking the high road and continue to be in, 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 a, in a, uh, a, a position of humility, a position of humble service has been wearying. God will exalt and we're reminded of that at Christmas, right? When we see Jesus, this helpless babe, laying in a manger, um, we don't just see that, do we? We're those who know the story that Paul talks about here. We, we know that Christmas is an indicator of the humility of Jesus Christ, which is followed by the exaltation of God. 
And so I like these words, closing with these words from uh, a song. We don't, it's, it's, it's not a worship song that we sing in church, but I really like I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, that, that Christmas song. You know it. It was written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. That's a great name. You mean a middle name, Wadsworth? Um, he wrote it on Christmas Day after hearing the bells of the local church, 1863. It was in the middle of the American Civil War. The nation was divided, at odds. There was no peace. His son was, in the un- was a Union soldier at that time. And on, uh, as he heard the bells on Christmas Day, 1863, in the middle of war, he, he wrote this song. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, that mild and sweet their songs repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But then rang the bells more loud and deep, God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. All those who humble themselves, he will exalt. So have the same mindset as that of Jesus Christ, Christians. Have the same mindset. The way up is down. Uh, and so let's pray together and, and just ask God, what, God, what would it look like for me to bring this mindset to my relationships? What would it look like for me to bring this mindset in, into my marriage, into my home, into my workplace, into my school, into my neighborhood? Uh, God, just show me how I can put your word into practice. Let's just come to God in prayer. God, would you speak to us? Um, we have heard your word. Lord, we, our hearts, uh, I, I hope, are just um, thrilled all over again by um, all that you have done for us through your son who took on flesh and was born a helpless baby and became obedient to death on the cross so that we sinners in need of your mercy would find it, so that you would pull us out of our pit and bring us into eternal fellowship with you We thank you for Jesus, your son. We thank you that he did that for us. We thank you, God, that you responded to to that and you exalted him because we needed Jesus who's exalted, who has authority over all things. So, Lord, show us what would it look like for us to bow our knee to humble ourselves, to have that same mindset as Jesus. God, right now in this room, would, would you just bring to our hearts and our minds um, maybe situations or relationships where, where maybe we are not thinking this way, we are not living this way. And God, would you enable us by your Holy Spirit, who we need, Lord, but that you freely give by your Spirit at work within us to to take the posture of Christ, to value others above ourselves, to live humbly, 
trusting God that if we do that, well, you, you will reward, you will exalt, you will, we do have honor and glory from you that far outweighs anything that this world has to offer. So Lord, may we go back from here into our lives just ready uh, to live humbly, to live for your glory. In Jesus' name, and together we say, Amen. Amen.